Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I am Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, hardware, and more. You can also catch us online at Pinal Central, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, which is an archive of our uh, game reviews. And uh, we have, um, what, what is it, something like, oh, 12, uh, 12 papers in 21 markets, if I remember correctly. Uh, with them, we have the Skewed and Reviewed magazine. We have segments on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM, and of course, our syndication partners, which range everywhere from sci-fi radio to open critic and more. And I'm joined, as always, by Justin and Michael, and we've got some really interesting topics uh, to cover. I'm just coming back, uh, what is this now, maybe two days uh, removed from returning from a cruise on the Disney Magic. This was our first time sailing on the Magic. We'd sailed 11 times before on the Wonders, so... Uh, a little bit of a change, even though they had a pretty similar layout. And uh, we'll be back on the Wonder again in March, so we're looking forward to that. But, of course, you come back and there's all kinds of stuff going on. Now, as we're getting to the time of year with the holidays coming up, all kinds of video games. We have everything from fantasy games to uh, deck-building games. We've seen, you know, obviously action-adventure games all over the place. And then, of course, you get some change of pace games like Just Dance 2024 came out today. You have, um, you know, some more interesting indie games. And in this mix comes something I'm very curious about. I had uh, played this game, oh, an early version of it about a year, year and a half ago. And it's a game called Rip Out. And it is currently available in Steam Early Access. It's from uh, 3D Realms. And it can be played as either a solo or co-op game. And essentially, it is a futuristic science fiction game where you have a rather interesting weapon. I would guess the best way I'd describe it is an organic weapon. And you go through a ship and there's all kinds of crazy science fiction horror. But of course, you get better weapons along the way. You have to overcome the enemies, figure out various things, and, of course, uh, do it in either solo or co-op. The demo was pretty straightforward up until certain areas, and it got very challenging, so I'm very interested to see what the full game looks like. Um, the enemies were pretty interesting. The weaponry was pretty creative. And, of course, again, it's done by 3D Realms, which is really great because they have that classic style of games that they used for everything from the original Shadow Warrior, the original Duke Nukem 3D, which kind of carried over to some of the um, newer versions using the old tech like Iron Ion Fury. This is slightly, well, has more modernized graphics, but it's not the state-of-the-art cutting-edge graphics. So there's a, a lot of new to it with a little touch of in the past. And the moody atmosphere to it was really interesting. I just like the fact that they had a co-op uh, segment, so looking forward to that. So, gentlemen, as we are recording this, uh, SAG-AFTRA has resumed discussions with the uh, studios. That is um, going on currently right now as we are talking. I just checked before we started. There was no update that they'd broken for the day that uh, an agreement had been reached, whatever. 
my understanding is things are really at a loggerhead and there's a lot of incentive because uh, apparently the studios are saying they've got to get something resolved by the first week of November if they're going to hope to have a, a 2023-2024 TV season. Um, a lot of ad money on the line there. And then on top of it, we're already hearing stories about uh, films such as Deadpool 3 that had started production, might not be able to make its summer release date, and then Paramount has fired the first shell coming out and saying Mission Impossible, uh, you know, Dead Reckoning Part 2 isn't going to make it out next year, and it's getting pushed back a full year because there's just no way they can finish the thing, do the post-production, and get it out in time. A lot of other films are being looked at. There are some people that are telling me summer of 2024 could be an absolute disaster. I mean, on one hand, you have things that are already completed, like the Alien film that's under the title Alien Romulus, but you have a lot of stuff that is not uh, done. Justin, what do you think of this? Yeah, so it seemed like a while ago that the writer's strike was the big uh, headline for all these sorts of conflicts between the studios and the the different unions that they work with. But uh, so on, in that sense, with that pretty much resolved, um, it does, it, at least if you, if you go by past experience, you would think that it would make it very, it would, it would make this particular conflict um, between uh, the screen, the screen actors guild and the studios. Uh, you, you would think that it would put more pressure on, uh, resolution coming uh, soon because that's what happened last time uh, in the early 2000s once once uh, multiple guilds uh, unions had come to an agreement then the uh, the last kind of holdouts they they didn't have as much uh, leverage um, so they they were able to kind of kind of come to an agreement fairly quickly um, but you know, g given how long that the writer strike lasted, every day, every week that they don't come to an agreement with the Screen Actors Guild is really prolonging the the pain <laughs> that's going to be coming because of uh, all these different delays. And as you mentioned, there's already been some announcements of delays. Certainly, there's going to be more. Uh, I don't even think that we're quite aware of how far the ramifications are of uh, all the delays caused by the writer strike. So anything additional on top of that, um, it probably puts pressure uh, really on both sides to come to an agreement. But because they've come into agreement with the writers, um, I, I would think that this probably won't last as long. Uh, there's just so many. Um, well, well, one, there's now there's precedent that they have with the other unions, so they can use that as a foundation for coming to an agreement. Um, but also, there's just there's going to be pressure on both sides um, to be amicable and kind of negotiate with each other a, a little more liberally, I would say, because on the side of the, the studios, obviously, as you mentioned, they're, they're going to be chomping at the bit to get started, um, every day that they waste, uh, you know, on this is a day that they can't, uh, work on their projects for next year. And on the side of the, uh, the uh, Screen Actors Guild, I, I think there's also pressure for them to come to an agreement now that other unions have also kind of resolved their issues. So we'll have to see how this plays out. I, I would, you know, I would hope it, it gets resolved pretty soon, but uh, you, you don't really know really what's going on behind the scenes. 
Absolutely. Michael, your take, please. No, and I, I 100% agree because one of the things, um, I think the writers had obviously an incentive because we discussed um, before, I mean, some of those were not like, you know, movie script writers and, and doing movies. Some of these folks had day, daily jobs doing writing for um, shows, for the various um, talk shows, the various um, comedy shows, that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't want to say they were more motivated because obviously that lasts a long time as well. But I think what's going, what we're going to see is, you know, we're already hearing about delays next summer because um, this all doesn't only really affect uh, movies that are not quite wrapped up, but potentially reshoots if there are films that um, they need to do reshoots for um, specific scenes, even if it's done, quote unquote done, um, those aren't going to take place. Um, and again, so I think it does, it, it does draw out, the longer this goes on, the more it draws out for uh, upcoming releases. And again, for the writers, you know, it was, I don't want to say it wasn't, it wasn't difficult, but, you know, once the writers came to an agreement, you know, we saw Jimmy Kimmel come back on the air, we saw The Tonight Show come back on the air, there were all sorts of shows that kind of just picked up um, pretty quickly and started going again. Uh, whereas the, the actors, it's a little bit more difficult in the sense that some of these are longer projects, some of these are, uh, are you know, things that they, they can't just you know, get together um, in a room and start working out. The other thing I think that's going to be a problem is the holidays now are coming up. Uh, the summer, uh, with the writers strike, the, 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 they, had the, they had the summer to work through things and, and early fall. Now we're talking about you know Thanksgiving and Christmas and the other holidays that are coming up over the next couple of months, and what are the incentives going to be for um, everybody to get to get back to work on this and get this resolved? So I think there is a lot to be said about why they want to get this done or get things back going the first week in November or the, or the second week in November. While I think a lot of that has to do with the release schedules coming out, you know, for the summer of next year, I think there's some logistical issues about. What do we do when we, if we start getting into the holidays? You know, where did where does this where does this go? Because they're not going to be one of the people that are going to be working over Thanksgiving or, or into Christmas. Um, you know, the incentive to to get that done kind of falls off, I think. So, yeah, I'll be really interested to see what what happens over the next couple of weeks. I I, I thought that once the writers' uh, situation was kind of sorted out, that a lot of that would bleed into what the um, SAG after uh, SAG after uh, members were looking for as well because a lot of it wasn't that different. I mean, obviously there are different roles, um, but I do think that from a SAG after perspective, um, there there is uh, again there, there, some of them can you know manage longer, but I also think there's um, there's more at stake again getting back into the swing of things, getting things filmed. Um, you know, we're going to start seeing. Uh, all sorts of things taking a vaccine. We've even heard, you know, video games and that sort of stuff could even potentially be impacted the schedule based on when they're back to work as well. Whether or not it's officially voice actors, there are plenty of screen actors that double as voice actors for you know big franchise type games. So all of that's going to be impacted the longer this dries out. Yeah, and it's interesting to note, as you said, the holidays are key. I mean, between Hanukkah, Christmas. Um, Thanksgiving, you know, you could be getting back to work, maybe get one or two uh, 
weeks of filming in, and then you have to shut down through New Year, and then that means we're probably looking at February before they even debut anything. I think we can all agree that short seasons are going to be the norm. We're not going to get 22-episode seasons unless they decide, well, we're just going to film like crazy and then uh, you know, run them through the summer. The problem with that is the actors have to get some time off. Um, I'm sure they're going to say, well, you know, maybe we're just going to have to agree to have a shorter summer break than usual and roll through. But let's not forget, they're going to have to be at Comic-Con. They're going to have to be out and about. We've got, uh, you know, WonderCon coming up in a few months. We have CinemaCon coming up. Uh, they're definitely going to want to roll out the stars to this. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. Now, just a, a quick note here. These are some of the uh, things that are on the, the docket for um, next summer. I mean, we've already talked about Deadpool 3. We're supposed to get Furiosa. Now, yes, some of these have already filmed. Some of them were partially filmed. Some of them were filming under the British uh, Union where it's not as, um, well, it's not as affected. Uh, but, you know, you have that. You have Garfield. Uh, animated movie. I'm assuming they're continuing with the animation, and they'll just bring in the actors as soon as they settle to do the voice cast, but you have things like Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. I mean, that could be uh, a real issue. This one is apparently already filmed. Ballerina, the John Wick spinoff. Uh, you got Bad Boys 4. That was supposedly in production. Inside Out 2, same thing. You know, are they animating away and just going to, you know, Add in people. We've already heard Mission Impossible's delayed. You got a Despicable Me 4 planned. You've got a new Lion King movie, a third Venom film. These have all started. Uh, you know, you've got the Twister sequel, Captain America Brave New World. Again, something they'd started, but had they finished, who knows? And these are all big questions. And then you have these things like Borderlands that apparently was done years ago, but then there were all these. Uh, reshoots done to it. You've got, you know, we mentioned Alien Romulus. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting. And I could see studios saying, uh, you know what, maybe these films that we had planned for February, March, April, maybe we need to sit on a couple of these things just so we have content for the summer. And while they may not be summer movies, at least people will be in the, you know, traditional movie watching mode. So it'll be very, very interesting. Now, one thing is uh, really surprising. We're going to have the premiere this week, and uh, we're helping host it. Uh, but we got some interesting news about Five Nights at Freddy's, which is based on the video. It's obviously an adaptation of a popular video game series. Uh, originally, tracking suggested that the film was heading for a $40 million opening, which would make it the second best opening of the fall behind the Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie. Now, here's what's even more interesting about this. Number one, it's getting a day-and-date release on Peacock. So the fact that they're saying, even though people who have Peacock can sit at home and watch it, same moment it comes out, midnight, boom, done. $40 million box office. Well, that has now been revised upwards to above $50 million, and a couple of independent uh, uh, insiders have come out and said, or exhibitors, I should say, have come out and said there's a chance we could see this thing crack above $80 million for an opening. Now, considering it is a Bloomhouse project, um, you know it's not going to have a massive budget. That's instant profit right there. 
Michael, we'll start with you. Are, are you surprised at a number between 40 and 80 million, especially with the Peacock simultaneous launch? I don't think so because the Five Nights at Freddy's has a pretty big following. I mean, it's, surpri- it's surprisingly big considering um, how, I don't want to say old the games are, but they're, they're starting to get there. But, I mean, they're already um, toys. There's already a lot of um, kids. There's a lot of people that grew up with that movie. And I'll be honest, from the previews, what I've seen in the advertising, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, you know, it's, it's always kind of iffy when you start talking about games based on video, you know, as our movies based on video game franchises. But it looks like they actually took a really interesting approach with this, keeping it creepy and, and, and kind of scary, yet also making it appear that it's kind of a appeals to a, a pretty broad audience, everything from uh, younger kids um, to adults. Uh, you know, we see this kind of thing with like the Goosebumps series, um, which has a, has a pretty big following because a lot of those books and, and therefore the, the, the movies and shows that went along with it um, kind of uh, carried across a pretty wide range of, of ages. And I think we're seeing that with Five Nights at Freddy's as well. So you're seeing the kids that grew up with it now and they're, you know, teenagers, maybe you know, a little bit older. Um, plus, the, the, there's, they're continuing continue to be pretty popular amongst younger kids. Um, and pretty popular amongst gamers in general. Uh, so, so no, and again, I, I, what I've seen from the, um, the advertising, uh, I'm really intrigued. It's a movie that I actually want to go see in the theater. Uh, I think this time of year is a great release time because I think um, even though it's being um, simultaneously released on Peacock, I think you know this is a, is a good time of year to get people out to, to the movies to see quote-unquote scary movies. Um, because of Halloween and, and that whole season, um, what I what we've seen, I think, with Halloween in, um, in general, you know, when we're talking, we, see, we talk about the mazes, we talk about the haunted houses. I think it's it's more of an event kind of time when people want to go out and see um, scary movies in the theater and be with their friends and, and, and have fun and, and that sort of thing. And again, because it does, you know, offer a, a entertainment across a wide audience. Everybody everybody in between, I, I, I think it's pretty realistic to um, expect that it'll have a pretty big opening. Interesting. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, for all the reasons that Michael said, I, I think that he summed up really well. It's uh, Just to add to that, I, I think one of the one of the aspects of Five Nights at Freddy's that's uh, really made it a phenomenon is uh, it has a huge streaming following. I know we talked a little bit about streamers in our last episode, but um, one of the one of the reasons I think it it grew so popular is it, it was a very popular streaming game, and uh, you know you couple that with uh, horror movies in general are usually a pretty good bet. Um, not always, but it's usually it's it's one of those genres where uh, you don't have to put in a ton of budget. Um, but you can really, if if one takes off, you can really um, beat your beat your budget very quickly. Um, so, like you had mentioned, it's definitely it's well, if it tracks, it is it's going to turn a profit, a pretty good one at that, because um, with a smaller budget and a huge following, and a, and a really good brand name, I really think this could be very successful. And uh, one of the other one other aspect about it too that I think uh, lends itself to being successful is it 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 really just has a pretty good premise. I mean. Um, the whole being stuck in a, like a, a Chuck E. Cheese, basically, 
um, with like killer animatronics. It's it's a very easy uh, digestible premise that um, I think just about anybody could can kind of like understand. You know, you don't have to really. It, it's it doesn't take a lot of uh, you know lore or anything to kind of explain what's going on. It's a very like oh well, I I can kind of under I can kind of uh, envision that happening kind of thing. So. Um, uh, I I think all for all those reasons it, it's going to be pretty successful and I and like Michael I'm pretty in, interested in it myself. I'll tell you something that really caught my attention was as Michael and you know we host screenings from time to time with the studios. We go through our allotment of tickets, but you often see a lot of situations where we put them out there and hey folks we got tickets and they go through the various outlets and people and you know people say oh hey uh. I, I'm not able to get them, and we find out the allotment's been reached, so we write the rep, they allocate a few more tickets, so on and so forth. The ones for Five Nights at Freddy's were gone within minutes of us putting them up. I mean, I, I put them up, put them up to some people, even message people, and said, hey, uh, you know, boom, these are out, and they're like, we can't get to them. I wrote the rep, oh yeah, they went through the allotment already, I'll add some more put out the allotment of Freddy, boom, they were gone too. So it did not take a lot of prodding uh, for people to snap up all these uh, screening tickets. And so I'm very intrigued by that. So one thing I wanted to close with is a little interesting news. Uh, Last year, the news that Netflix had taken over the long in the works screen adaptation of the Bioshock series. Uh, August last year, filmmaker Francis Lawrence uh, was came, was onboarding, and Michael Green, who wrote Blade Runner 2049 and Logan, had been hired to adapt the script. Well, of course, everything went quiet. Everything went quiet. Uh, there had been attempts to bring um, a film version. I remember a film version being talked about with Wentworth Miller when he was hot on uh, Prison Break. So it gives you an idea how long this has been kicking around. Well, a few things have changed since then. Number one, uh, the Last of Us has done exceptionally well for HBO Max. Super Mario Brothers was very big, which is kind of as we've discussed, and we're getting a lot of positive tracking for Five Nights at Freddy's. So now that whole oh video game adaptations don't work very well, and da 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 da, and outside of Resident Evil, you don't really make money. That stuff's all going out the window. Well, apparently, uh, the moment the writers' strike ended. Uh, there was a call from Netflix made to the writer essentially saying, uh, he, he jokes and says, literally the minute the strike was over and I was allowed to be contacted, they called me up and said, how's it coming along? Are you about ready? And oh, by the way, we've been meeting with the director and his team ready to put a draft into place. So <clears throat> what do you guys make of that? Uh, we'll start with Justin. I'm definitely intrigued. I mean, I, I like most people. I love Bioshock. I, I, I'm a really big on settings, and uh, I, I think an interesting setting is pretty much uh, foundational to having like a good, a good movie, good game, good anything. You have to have a good setting, and I think Bioshock has one of the best, or most interesting. I mean, Rapture. Everyone kind of remembers that. It's, it's such a good, very thematic setting. I guess the thing that I've always that's always kind of concerned me a little bit about a Bioshock live action movie is the narrative really more than most games it really um, 
it's enforced what it's trying to do is is really enforced by being a video game there aren't a lot of example like good examples of that usually video games are trying to be something else they're usually trying to be a movie but bioshock is one of those few exceptions where the the big twist is really enforced by being a video game and how it how it unfolds i mean not not i don't think spoilers really matter anymore but the the fact that you you're taking orders as a player and that that basically being um the crux of the twist um and how that kind of fits in the story it'd be really difficult if you were going to adapt that directly uh into a, a live action setting um that said though i, I think if, as long as they can nail down the look and the feel of, of rapture and all of the kind of like interesting kind of backstory and the lore and, and all of that. I, I think that that gives them a good foundation to, to tell maybe a new story in, in that same setting or kind of retell it in a way that would work in a, in the movie format. Um, so I, I'm, I'm obviously really intrigued. I think the other thing too, that for, for some video games, their, their, um, their settings are very fantastical and kind of, it's hard to envision how you would do it um, within a within a, a budget that makes sense. Uh, under, Rapture being an underwater city, kind of fashioned like the you know the nineteen fifties sixties kind of aesthetic, it would be pretty pretty difficult to pull off and make it look good. Um, but uh, you know, I I think as as long as they're willing to in, invest in it, I think it, it's at least going to be uh, one of the the ones to watch and kind of see how they do it. Um, uh, so I'm definitely really, really intrigued. Um, like you mentioned, Gareth, this kind of goes back really, really long. Uh, it's been in the works in, in various phases for probably decades at this point. So, um, I'm definitely interested to see what ends up happening. All right. And Michael, close this out. What do you think? So I agree with all that. And one, one of the things that, um, we shouldn't forget about coming out in April is Fallout, right? Um, so that's another potentially huge Correct. franchise that's going to have a really, um, which will hopefully have a really good um, premise and, and story. But to Justin's point, the one thing about Bioshock that concerns me is it's pretty much a, a single person experience. That's not to say that, I mean, I think they would have to have two or three people going through it because you got to have some dialogue and some conversation. A, a movie about um, a single person, you know, walking around and, and interfacing with um, the Denzians of that universe. And again, Bioshock, probably one of my favorite games of all time. Um, the, the, the particularly the very beginning, which I think is is kind of ingrained in anybody who's played it, where you know you, you go down the elevator and then you walk into that, um, you, you go into Rapture and you see the big old octopus um so i i i love the idea i think the setting is outstanding i love the idea of putting um that on you know to a a film or to a um a series i think the setting as just when i think the setting alone um really opens up a lot of opportunity uh, again having that that 50s ish vibe kind of what they're going to be but again, it would be really obviously they're not going to tell the story as the game. I would assume not, because again, um, 
not so much the taking orders, the player taking orders alone, but having a, again, even a conversation between the player and Atlas or, or whomever would make for a long movie if it's just dialogue between those characters. Um, so there would have to be you know, a little bit more interaction. I mean, even if you look at other movies that kind of was along, if you look at Die Hard, for example, where he was by himself, there was still a lot of interaction between him and the terrorists and him and the police and, and stuff. So there would have to be some sort, something that would lead to dialogue between just him and Atlas to really make that movie or that show work for any length of time. So, so again, anytime we start changing the premise, adding, you know, another character like son or daughter or wife or whatever, uh, when you start changing that premise, it can certainly work. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, it, it, it takes away some of the feel. So I would be really, um, really interested to see what that premise is and, and, and what the characters look like in that. Again, setting-wise, I think it's fantastic. I think what we've seen with um, Mandalorian, what we've seen with um, Loki, what we've seen with any of these um, high-budget streaming-type series, streaming-type movies, is the ability for them to do to pull off that environment is definitely there. Um, costly, but they can do it. Uh, but And the premise... Again, the setting is there. I think the ability for them to pull off that setting is there. I think there's there's an opportunity for premise, but it would really boil down to how is the character interaction, what what sort of characters are introduced, how do we keep that type of story moving forward, when, particularly if a lot of that interaction is over communications like an intercom or something like that. Yeah, lots of good stuff to uh, consider. Folks, that is going to do it for us this week. I hope you have a very wonderful week ahead. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.